Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. My name is Ross. I'm a member here at Bethany Baptist Church. I, my heart feels so full this morning. I just want to thank you, church, for singing to me, uh, singing to us, singing to one another. Uh, I, I, I'm so glad that there's an hour of singing and praying and hearing God's word before I have to step up here. Because uh, I think without that, there, there would be an emptiness in my heart that I felt before coming up here this morning. I just didn't get much sleep last night through God's sovereign providence and his goodness. Uh, so it was, it was just such a blessing to have you guys sing to me and hear your voices as we sing to the Lord together. Because man must not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. If this is your first time opening up the Bible, John is the book number. Chapter 1 is the big number. And the verse number is going to be the small numbers. So chapter 1, big number 1, small number 29. So I know in the bulletin it says verse 19. I'm going to go through verse 19. We're just going to pick up scripture reading at 29 though. So big number 1, small number 29. Hear God's words as he speaks to us now. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed him, followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said... You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, 
the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before, Peter, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael re re replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of the Lord dwell richly within us. Let's pray. Father, we need you to mold our hearts, to bend our hearts towards your word. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing of your word. Lord, so we pray that your word would produce faith in us. Lord, help us to be like the good soil. Where the word, the seed of the word comes, and the trials of this world and the temptations of this world don't come and choke out the seed. But may the word bear fruit in our lives. Please, Lord, please, Lord, come. Come with your word. Speak to us now today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So some of you may know this, but we had a ping pong tournament at our church, and I was crowned. King of ping pong within the hundred, thank you, thank you, thank you, within the 147 members of Bethany Baptist Church. Um, some of you guys may not know this, but we have a daughter of a gold Olympist of ping pong at our church, and she may have also been in that tournament, and I won that tournament. <laughs> Therefore, you could say, if you like, that I beat the daughter who was trained by the Olympist in ping pong. <laughs> um, I'll have to say I wasn't always this glorious when it came to ping pong. I'm not much glorious at all. This is half a joke if you haven't caught on. <laughs> um, but in middle school, I remember I was playing ping pong at a retreat. And uh, there are these 50, 60-year-old, 70-year-old Chinese people who were kicking my butt in ping pong. And I remember I got so sad and so discouraged, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done with ping pong for a little bit. I remember walking outside, we're up in the mountains. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And I remember looking up and I have just never seen the stars look so big and so clear and so many all at the same time. That LA fog makes it seem like we have four stars in the sky. <laughs> but I remember just looking and marveling and gazing at the goodness of God. 
man, I am so small in comparison to all these stars. I remember, this is silly of me, but just kind of reaching up, like, can I, can I touch these stars? Like, honestly, they were just felt so close that I, I felt like, man, can I touch these things? And uh, it, it's, it's amazing how when we look at things, it actually shapes our affections. It shapes our thoughts, our attitudes. Um, we think about Adam and Eve and how Eve looked at the fruit that God said not to eat. And she saw that it was good. Um, I think about my own lives and my own life, and I'm sure in some of your lives, how you've looked at things that didn't produce joy in God or glory to God. I think about this last week and how there's just times in my life I'd rather look at anything rather than God's word. I'd rather just be on YouTube or social media scrolling and scrolling when I know that enough is enough, that was too much. And yet I'm so captivated by these things. Today, God wants to free you from that captivation. God wants you to look at Jesus Christ, the divine lamb. That's the main goal today. If you're taking notes, the main goal is that you would look to Jesus Christ, the divine lamb. John gives us four reasons why we should look to Jesus Christ, the divine lamb. The first, because he takes away your sins. Second, because he invites you. Third, because he names you. Fourth, because he calls you. Once again, first, because he takes away your sins. Second, because he invites you. Third, because he names you. And fourth, because he calls you. Before we get into the, the reasons why, so if you're taking notes, this is just to help orientate you a little bit. Um, verse 19 to 28 is not going to be under point one. That's just going to be intro. So I'm... Lord willing, going to do five messages in the book of John, five glimpses, five narratives of the life of Jesus. And verse 19 to uh, 28, it's going to be the intro to these five messages and also the intro to this passage here. So we're going to get moving in verse 19. We're going to explain the story a little bit, and then hopefully we'll speed past this half and get to the meat of the message. Verse 19. I do need to give one quick caveat before we get into this. Um, if you don't have, if you're able, I know some of you have kids, and I have a youngster, and so it's hard when you have kids to look at your Bibles and to have it out, to be following along in that way. But this message will be seven to ten times more helpful if you follow along with me in the scriptures. I'm going to constantly be telling you to look down. Seven to ten was just a random number I came up. It's just going to be exponentially more helpful if you just look with me at the scriptures and we're just going to explore together. Um, so let's do that. Verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? There's two things I want to point out here in terms of introduction. One, this was John's testimony. So the book of John is written most likely by the apostle John, the beloved, John the beloved. In verse 19, this was John's testimony. That's not talking about the testimony of John the author, but rather testimony of John the Baptist, who we're going to spend the rest of this time thinking about and talking about. 
The second point I want to bring up here in verse 19 is the question, who are you, is one of the central questions in the book of John. The goal of the book of John is that you would believe Jesus and the book of John goes through different portraits of who Jesus is so that you would believe him. So it's kind of all answering this question. Who are you? Are you Jesus? Are you the Messiah who's coming? That's what is the overarching idea of the book of John. We're going to keep on reading here in verse 20. He didn't deny it, but confessed. I am not the Messiah. What then? They asked him. Are you Elijah? I am not. He said, are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? They asked him, or they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path, the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. So, the, the Levites and the priests, the Jews, they come and they ask John the question, who are you? And John gives a little bit of an interesting answer here. John doesn't say, I'm John the Baptist, like a normal person would do. John answers by saying, I am not the Messiah. That's an interesting way of answering the question, who are you? And then the Jews or the priests decide to ask him another question. Okay, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. Well, who are you then? I think the, this might seem a little interesting to us in terms of the way John's answering these questions. But if you understand a little about Jewish culture or what the Jews at this time were waiting for, then this makes a lot more sense. The Jews at this time were waiting for three people. They're waiting for mainly the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah to come, to come and to conquer Rome and to usher them back. But they were also waiting for Elijah because Elijah didn't die. Elijah was carried off in a fiery chariot. And in Malachi 4, 5, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So they were waiting for this Elijah to come back and to usher in the day. They were also waiting for the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 20, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So th these are the three answers. or the, the reason why it's framed like this is because the Jews are waiting for these three people. They're waiting for Elijah, they're waiting for the Messiah, and they're waiting for the prophet. That was just a little bit of Bible trivia for you guys. If, if anyone ever asked, what were the Jews waiting for in the first century before Christ came? They were waiting for Elijah, the prophet, and the Messiah. Let's keep going in verse 23. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight Oh, I already read that. We're going to go verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? Verse 26, I baptize with water. John answered them, someone standing among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal straps I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So the Jews, where the, the priests came and said, okay, if you're not any of these three people we've been waiting for, what are you doing? Why, why are you baptizing these Jews? Now, that would have been a little odd. 
Um, it, baptism would have been normal for Gentiles who are converting to the, Christ, to the Jewish faith to be immersed in the water. But for John the Baptist to be baptizing Jews, the, the Pharisees or the, the Jews and the Levites wanted to ask, why, why are you doing this? And John responds by saying, and by quoting Isaiah, saying, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. And then John gives a little bit on baptism. But I just want to get into John the Baptist's role here. John the Baptist's role in between the Old and New Testament, he really is the bridge between the two. He's the one who is ushering in. He's the one who's preparing the way of the Lord, preparing Christ for him to come. And we're, kinda, we're gonna pick up this idea of baptism in verse 29. That was hopefully a short intro. And we're gonna get into our main goal and our points now. So the main goal is look to Jesus Christ, the divine lamb. The first point here in verse 29 is because he takes away your sins. Look back down at God's word with me. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. Coming after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that's the first day, right? The first day, the Jews, the, the priests come and talk to John about why he's baptizing. The next day comes. And the next, as the next day comes, he's still talking to the Jews. He's still with the, the priests. And they see Jesus coming. And John says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The person I've been talking about, the Messiah, th this is him. The Lamb of God, he's here. This is the one I told you about. After me comes someone who ranks ahead of me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. So the point of John baptizing so many Jews was for the sake, for the purpose of revealing Jesus. And then John starts to testify about something. John says, hey, so this might be a little confusing. In the story, it kind of seems like the baptism of Jesus is happening right now. But I think if you take a closer look, John testifies, I have saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I think a more comprehensible reading might be that this has already happened. That he's not baptizing Jesus on the second day. He already baptized Jesus. That's why he knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. That already happened. They, he already baptized Jesus, and he saw the dove come on Jesus and rest on Jesus. And that's why when he's talking to the Jews, he's like, hey, I'm not the one. There's one coming. And then the next day, he sees the one coming, and he's like, there he is. That's John's role. John's role is to point to Jesus. And then he testifies that he has seen that this is the Son of God. So there's two points I want to bring out here. I want to bring out the concept that Jesus is the divine Lamb. We see that in 29. We see that at the end, the fact that he's pre-existing and that's why he's divine. The fact that he's the Son of God, that's why he's divine. 
his divinity, Christ could not die for our sins. But in his humanity, in the fact that he is the Lamb of God, he could. It's the idea that Christ took on flesh so that he would be our sacrifice. That's the idea of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb throughout the Old Testament. I mean, we see in, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read another section of scripture in Isaiah 53. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in verse 4, and we're just going to read through it and think about Christ as the lamb. Yet he himself bore our sickness. This is verse 4. And he carried our pains. But we turn, we in turn regarded him strucken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, cursed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own ways. And the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. That is a picture of the Lamb of God who was slain on our behalf. This very lamb, Jesus, when he was under trial, stood silent as they falsely accused him. This very lamb, Jesus, when he was convicted of something he had not done, when he had done no wrong, they, they got a crown of thorns, they got thorns, they tied it into a reef, they put it around his head, they blindfolded him so he couldn't see anything, and they took a stick and they beat him, and they said, you prophesy, right? Who hit you? That very lamb, that Jesus, he carries his own cross. He gets nailed to that cross. And he hangs. Until he took his last breath. And he said it was finished. When we're thinking and talking about the Lamb of God, that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the fact that Christ is our sacrificial Lamb. The one who was silent before the oppressors, the one who took on humanity so that he can die for your sins and my sins. And that very lamb is not only 
our suffering lamb, but also our conquering lamb. That lamb in Revelation 17, hear this, these will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. In Revelation 19, there's this supper, this marriage feast between the Lamb and his church, because he has conquered. It is finished. Christ is our suffering Lamb, but he's also our conquering Lamb. And so John here, this is one of my favorite sentences in this whole chapter. The fact that John sees Christ and he says, here he is. This is the Lamb. The one that's going to die, the one that's going to conquer. Who takes away the sins of the world. That is our lamb. We're going to move on to the next point here. We're going to keep reading. So the first reason why we should look to Jesus is because he's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The second reason is because he invites you. Look at verse 35 if you have your Bibles. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God! When his two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus, when Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he responded. He replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So this is the next day. Now John, the Baptist, is standing with two of his disciples. And then, once again, he sees Jesus passing by. And he says the same thing. Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples hear him saying this. And they're like, oh. I was a follower of John the Baptist. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. And so they just leave John the Baptist, like what his role is, pointing to Christ. And then he starts walking and following Jesus. And this always makes me giggle a little bit. When Jesus turned and noticed them. So Jesus is just walking, 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 walking. All of a sudden, two people are following him. He doesn't notice them. John, the author, points out when he noticed them. He turns around and he's like, hey, oh, you're, you're John's disciples. Oh, you're following me. And then Jesus asks them the question, what are you looking for? They say something kind of interesting. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? I, I feel like there's parts of this text that just are so interesting. Like, what? If I asked Rock, hey, what are you looking for? And Rock responds, hey, where are you staying? That's not the right answer. <laughs> That's not the right answer. The right answer is not a question back. Neither is the right answer. Hey, where are you sleeping tonight? What? That's weird. And yet, listen to Jesus' response. Verse 39. Come and you'll see. Oh, how tender is our Savior. Oh, how tender is our Lamb that when the disciples make no sense, Jesus responds with kindness. Come, and I'll show you. Really, the disciples wanted to know whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. That's on all the minds of all the Jews. Jesus is here. John the Baptist sure thinks that this one is the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? That's the 
real question they want to ask, but they don't. They ask, hey, where are you staying? And Jesus, in his tenderness, instead of saying, hey, why don't you just tell me what you're thinking? Why don't you just tell me you want to know that I'm the Messiah? Stop beating around the bush. Get to it. No, Jesus says, come, you'll see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. I love these two phrases, come and see, stay and rest. That's kind of the idea that's happening here. Jesus invites the two disciples, come and see, and stay and rest. And that's my invitation to you today. If you're not a Christian today, that's God's invitation to you. I know you may have all these questions about who God is. I know you may be unsure about God. I know some of you may be thinking that, at least some people in our culture sure think this, that Jesus is a homophobic fiction of the past, cult leader, who leads people to sing songs to him for an hour. And I want you to know that Jesus' response to you is gentle. He's saying, come, come, come and see about who I am. I understand you have your assumptions and you have your thoughts of who I am. They might not be positive. And Jesus gently invites you to come. Come see what Jesus is about. Come get your questions answered. To the children in this room, Children? Children? I became a Christian when I was 13. I first heard about Jesus when I was five. And Jesus' invitation to you is to come and see. It's okay that it took me eight years for me to become a Christian. It took me eight years of pondering and thinking about who Jesus is. That's okay. Jesus is patient with you. Keep exploring. Keep thinking about who Jesus is. Keep coming to the gathering and hearing us sing, hearing messages like this, where we have one minute where we just talk to you. Come explore about Jesus. Ask your questions to your mommy and daddy. Ask your questions to us. Jesus is patient with you. Okay. So we're going to keep moving. The, third, the, the second reason why you should look to Jesus is because he invites you to look to Jesus. He invites you. The third reason is because he names you. In verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So, Andrew is one of the two people who got to stay with Jesus and hang out with him. Um, the second person is most likely the author, John, the apostle. So Simon gets to know Jesus, and he's like, yeah, this is the Messiah. And so he turns, and he goes and finds his own brother. And he's like, hey, you know that Messiah that we've been waiting for? We found him. So Messiah is the Hebrew word, and Christ is the Greek word. 
Um, but both of them have the same idea of anointed one or there's a kingly type sense to that. Um, and Andrew goes and brings his own brother, Simon, to Jesus. And then you have to get this. Look, verse 42. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. So Andrew and Simon come together and they're like, hey, this is the one I've been talking to you about. And Jesus looks at him and Jesus says, Peter, PJ, son of Ray, you are now not Peter. You are now Ross. <laughs> like, what? Do you see that? I'm not making this up. This is why you need to look down with me. When Jesus saw him, first time meeting, they come together. Jesus gives the fool a new name. A new name. And, and Simon, Peter's just like, I guess that's my name now. I'm, I'm Simon Peter. That's who I am. What we see here is that Jesus has the authority to give names. Jesus has the authority to change identities. Hey, your father named you Simon. You are no longer Simon. You're Peter now. You're Cephas now. Jesus fundamentally changes our identity when we choose to follow him. Did you know that you get a new name? That Ross is my name, yes, but I will one day receive a new name. In Revelation 2, 17, God says this, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the white stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So to the one who conquers, to the one who perseveres, Christ himself gives you a new stone, a white stone, and on it has a name that only you will know. In America, or at least in the circles I swim with, um, names are generally undervalued and under understood. It's just names are just names. Yet, in reality, there are so many times in the Bible, all over the Bible, names have meaning. And the meaning shapes the life in a lot of ways. You think about Eve and the fact that Eve comes from the fact that it comes out of man. Um, we think about Jacob and how his name is changed to Israel. Think about Simon and how his name is changed to Peter, the rock. Think about Saul and how Saul's name is changed to Paul. There's a significance to names. I think that's set in reality. I mean, this is a small joke, uh, but I was talking to Marshall last week, and we were talking about names. I've been asking other people for advice. I, my wife's pregnant. We have a daughter coming, and uh, I've been thinking about girl names, and Marshall said, Marshall's daughter's name is Liberty, and he jokingly regrets naming his daughter Liberty because Liberty has taken on the liberty to be and do whatever she wants. <laughs> Whatever she wants. Liberty has been the most difficult child, and they have a newborn. The newborn is chilling. Liberty has been taking all the attention. And in, in 
in a joking manner, I've been talking to my wife about naming our daughter Slumber. <laughs> Rest. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> That's half, half a joke, half a joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, names matter. There's significance to names, and names affect things and people. And I don't want to over-spiritualize the idea of names. There's just a significance there that we need to see. We're going to keep moving now. So the third reason why you should look to Jesus is because he looks at you. Well, no, because he names you. And the fourth reason is because he calls you. In verse 43 to 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. When Philip was from, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Simon. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. So here's another day. Right, the, the last day, Simon got renamed. The next day, they're leaving for Galilee, and Jesus calls the person to come follow him. Come follow me. Now, Philip is from Bethsaida, and he goes and finds Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, hey, Lamb of God, Messiah, the one we've been looking for, he's here. And then Nathaniel has really a racist question. Nathaniel's question is, can anything come, good come out of Nazareth? It's like saying, can anything good come out of Taiwan? Those Taiwanese people, can anything good ever come out of them? That's a little racist and prejudiced, don't you think? As if there's no one good that can come out of Taiwan? I'm from Taiwan. Um, that, it, it's showing, I, th I think John here is purposely phrasing this question in a way that's showing Nathaniel's maybe small-mindedness. I think the, the heavier extent would be his sinfulness. I'm going to keep going here now. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I love how the author puts these two sentences together. He puts the, I would think, racist statement that Nathaniel said right next to Jesus' statement about Nathaniel. Here truly is an Israelite to whom there is no deceit. We see two things here. We see one, Jesus sees Nathaniel's heart. Even though he has a small-minded, prejudiced, and racist comment, Jesus looks into Nathaniel's heart and meets him where he's at. 
Secondly, we see that Jesus sees Nathanael's external circumstances. Nathanael says, so Jesus sees Nathanael coming to him, and he says, here truly is an Israelite whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asks Jesus, hey, how do you know that about me? And then Jesus says, before Philip went to go call you, when you were still under the fig tree, I already saw you, Jesus answered. And that's when Nathanael trusted that Jesus is the divine and the Messiah. This part of the story is what struck me the hardest last night. So I've been spending this whole week thinking about how I need to look to Jesus, thinking about all the reasons John gives us to look to Jesus. And John ends this introductory narrative by saying, by showing that Jesus looks at me. I've been thinking, John's framing this whole thing. Hey, look, look to Jesus here. Hey, uh, the two disciples, look, that's the Lamb of God. Hey, Pharisees, hey, Jews, look, that's the Lamb of God. Hey, come and see. That's another form of look. See, come see who I am. Oh, Nathaniel, you don't believe in Jesus? Oh, come see who he is. And then Jesus ends it by saying, I see you. I'm looking at you. And the glories of that is that there are times where you feel like you can't look at Jesus, where you feel like Nathaniel, and you feel the depths of your own sin, and you're afraid. Maybe you're stuck in sin. Maybe you feel the hardness of your own sin. Maybe you feel like you could never get over this sin. And I'm telling you, look at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I saw you first. Hey, in your weakness, in your inability, I see you. And I love you. And I approve of you. That's the character, that's the nature of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. Amen. If you're not a Christian here today, that's a scary statement I just said. That Jesus sees you internally, externally. There is nothing you can hide from the eyes of our Lord and our judge. If you're not a Christian here today, every wrong, every sin that you've committed towards other people, towards God, all of that is seen in the eyes of God. Every one of those. Every one of my sins, every one of my wrongs, all seen. And God is the judge who will judge you for your sins. That's the terrible news. But I have good news for you today. The invitation to come and see is still here. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain on your behalf. You and God are separated because of your sin, and yet Christ lives the perfect life you should have lived. And he dies the death that you deserved. And now the call to you 
He raises on the third day. And now the call to you is that you would turn from your sins, turn to Jesus, and come and see who he is. The urgency of the situation doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus is still patient with you, that he meets you where he's at, will meet you where you're at in light of meeting Nathaniel where he's at. Nathaniel didn't believe that anything good can come out of Nazareth. And yet he believed in Jesus because Jesus saw him and met him where he was at. So if you're not a Christian today, I'm calling you, I'm telling you, I'm exhorting you to make the most glorious and best and happiest decision you can in your life. Repent, turn from even your own righteousness, even what you think will save you, and turn to Jesus. Back to the Christians. There are, seems to be a heaviness in our church. That's rightfully so. I think some of it is natural. A lot of us, we're at the stage where we're all having a lot of, we're having children. Lord willing, if the Lord gives us children, and because of the sin and brokenness of this world, there has been quite a few miscarriages this year and last year, probably last year. Um, my son Kai passed away in the womb. And I know that in those moments, and even in moments where where you want to be pregnant and the Lord has decided not to give you any children and you will think to God, why, Lord? Didn't you say go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth? Why, Lord? Isn't it good for me to have children? Why have you taken that from me? In those moments, I think about the fact that Jesus sees us. He sees our hearts even our grumbling hearts at times. And he loves us. He says, I hear you. I see you. In the same way that I saw Nathaniel. You're not forgotten. And because our Lord Jesus is so tender and gentle and lowly, because he understands our pain, that makes the fact that he sees us so much more glorious. He doesn't see us like a begrudging father who chastises us. Why can't you just get over it? No, that's not how our Lord Jesus sees us. He sees us and he invites us to come and see who he is. He sees us and meets us where we are. That is our Lord Jesus. So really, that was my secret point under he calls. I just don't want to give it to you too early because that hit me like a brick. The fact that I've been thinking about seeing Jesus and Jesus sees me. We're going to finish the message here with our, with the last thought here. Verse 50, Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. How glorious is that? Even more glorious than the fact that Jesus saw Nathaniel sitting on the fig tree. Hey, you're going to see far greater things than that, Nathaniel. You're going to see this image that he points out. Heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's the same image in Genesis 28 with Jacob 
and how Jacob falls asleep, and then he starts seeing this ladder with angels descending and descending on him. And then he gets up, he's like, oh man, this really is the house of God. This is Bethel. And in one sense, I think this, that's what this is talking about here. The idea is that we will see greater things than the fact that, than the miracle of Nathaniel being seen, greater things of God being with us. Christ, the Lamb of God, dying, rising, ascending, coming again. And the fact that God was with us in Christ, well, with them in Christ, and now God is with us. Do you know where God is with us most visibly? God is with us most visibly on Sundays at 10 o'clock to... 12.30, hopefully if I finish in the next 10 minutes. Um, that's, we, Bethany Baptist Church, the church gathered is the display of God's glory. We are the body of Christ. When non-Christians want to see God, when they want to see the temple of God, they come to the gathered church. They come on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock. This is why, to the best of my ability, I refuse to miss a Sunday morning and Sunday night gathering. It's because God is pouring out gallonfuls. I, I don't know how much water, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and he meets people at the temple of God, and we are the temple of God. This, the God, the church, this is the temple of God. And God meets people here. We meet God here. That's not saying I'm not going against Hebrews in terms of being able to approach the throne boldly. I'm saying that the church, the gathered church, is the most visible way of seeing the body of Christ, the temple of Christ. And that... Bethel, the house of God, the gathered church, is more significant even than the miracle of seeing Nathaniel. So, brothers and sisters, come gather, come sing, come hear God's word, come pray God's word, come see God's word in the Lord's Supper and baptism that we'll be doing tonight. Come back tonight, hear God's word, come pray with the church. I want to end by quoting a song that we'll be singing right after this. We had a little change of plans. Instead of singing Come East, instead of singing Lo He Comes with Clouds Descending, we're going to be singing Come to Jesus, Rest in Him. It's our preparatory song. Most of you guys are not here for that. That's okay. This is on page three. I really could just read this whole song, and that would be my message. It just hits so directly everything I'm trying to say in this message. Are you weary, heavy laden? Come and lay your burdens down. Jesus calls you, Jesus draws you. Rest in him. He is gentle, he is lowly. He delights to bring us peace. Tender shepherd, mighty savior, rest in him. How sure, oh, how sure is his compassion for us. How deep, oh, how deep is his love. So come, come to Jesus, rest in him. 
Are you hopeless? Are you guilty? Are you caught in the shame of your sin? Jesus pursues you. The Lamb of God, he forgives you. Rest in him. He has paid for every failing. Mercy flows in endless streams. Come, follow. Freedom calls rest in the Lamb. Are you waiting in your sorrows for this broken world to heal? Are you tired of death? Are you tired of building deep, meaningful friendships and then partying? He is coming. Soon returning, rest in him. There will be no parting in the new heavens and new earth. We will see him. We will know him. Oh, the heights of grace revealed. For his kindness, every promise then fulfilled. Trust in Jesus, and he will keep us to the end. Let's pray. Father, help us to look to you. We are weak and feeble. We're caught up with the temptations and the sins of this world. And sometimes, Lord, we just don't have the strength to even turn and look at you. Lord, thank you that we thank you that you see us even in our failures and you meet us and you love us and you are the lamb of God who took away all our sins Lord help us to look to you this week because you first looked at us in Jesus name amen <laughs>